Amen. Well, good morning. If you've got a Bible, would you grab it, please? I'm going to ask you to turn to the book of 2 Peter, if you would. I'm so glad you're here with us on this Chris New Year's Eve, following Christmas Eve. Uh, man, I'm so glad to be back. It was good to be gone last week, spend some time with family. Um, this time of year is, is neat, um, and it's, it's a beautiful thing to do a baptism on, on uh, New Year's Eve, just celebrating the new life of following Christ. Uh, but this time of year is also hard. Uh, it, well, maybe it's not, but sometimes we're looking forward to a new year. Maybe you're like me. There's parts of 2023 that you're kind of ready to be gone. Uh, this is that time of year where us pastors, sometimes we want to throw out resolutions and how nobody keeps them and things like that. Uh, but I want to do something different. We're going to talk a little bit about that, but I'm going to start a new series called Turning Points, and I'll explain it in just a minute. Uh, but my part, part of my story is back in uh, a couple weeks, well, about a week ago, at the end of 2023, I was ready for it to be done as well. I was like, 24, come on. Um, we had a lot of sickness in our family, a lot of things going on, just like everybody else. Uh, we had missed basketball games and missed school, and we're hoping to get healthy. We're ready to leave town and see family. And anybody who has kids, you're always stressed because you're like, well, we don't want to take sick kids to somebody else's house, and they've got kids. And, uh, and, and as, as the story kept going uh, of our week, um, on the Tuesday of, of my son's basketball game, all the girls are home, trying to recover, trying to get healthy. I, I decided to book at the health center. I'm going to hustle there and get there. As soon as I pull up the health center, the gaslight comes on. I'm like, okay, fine, whatever. And some of you already know the story where I'm going. And so I decided, you know what? Hey, I bet I can make it home. I'll just go over to All Slips and Health Center, top it off real fast, put a little bit in there. Some of you know where I'm going. With this. Then I found out Wednesday night, I look online and on Facebook, there's a post that says, hey, newsflash, literally, Health Center gas station mixed diesel and gas in the tanks and everybody got bad gas. And I was like, of course I did. Of course, that's me. That's the odds of my going. So I'm calling and calling and filing claims and doing all this stuff, and I finally get a hold of somebody and say, hey, I just want to make sure, did it, did, it, did it happen to be after Tuesday when I was there? They said, no, it was on Monday. So I got bad gas. So long story short, it's too late for that. I got my car towed. I got it fixed. It's still waiting to get paid for it from the insurance company, so I had to, it, it's a long story. So we, as we get home, on top of all of that, as if that's not enough, we get back, and we still got sick kids. We're still hoping to get home. We had to have a family meeting. Everybody gathered around the table. Hey, it's, we didn't have an honest conversation. We may not be going anywhere. It may just be us, no cousins, no grandparents. We may just have, I'm having COVID flashbacks and all this kind of stuff. And we literally had to sit around the table and have a conversation and say, hey, we're going to pack our bags. If everybody wakes up fever free, we're going to go. And uh, praise God we were able to go. A little short of trip, but the Lord worked it all out. But all the stress and things like that, I don't know about you, parts of 23 where I'm like, let's go, get past and let's go, and 2024 is coming, and it made me kind of get to this, this idea of this series I wanted to do, looking at turning points in our life, not resolutions, not things that just we want to muster up change, and I'm going to talk about that in just a minute, but these things in our life, faith issues, that if we can literally approach them as turning points, you know, like turning points in a movie, turning points uh, in history when things happen, clearly this defining moment of which decisive change takes place, and it doesn't always seem to be the case where we think, hey, spiritually speaking, I'm going to read my Bible more. I'm going to go to church more. I'm going to go to a small group that I've never been before because I've been scared. I'm going to jump in and do it. And then you get to Leviticus and your Bible reading plan is over because it's, you're getting confused and it's over. And I found myself over and over these realizations of, of stress and anxiety, of trying to muster up things. But I just wanted us to know today that we got everything we need on this, this New Year's Eve in him. He has given us everything we need for a life of godliness and of obedience, of following him. That yes, Bible reading plans are good. We need to be a part of the church. We need to prioritize that. We need to be in smart. We need to do all of those things. But if it's just a pragmatic list to try to change, it's kind of like saying, hey, I need to start working out. <laughs> I 
need to start doing this. We have these generalizations of, I'm just going to be a better person, whatever that even means. I'm going I'm to start doing this. I'm going to stop doing this. But I just wanted us to press in today and look at the scripture today. I'm going to ask you to get your Bibles and stand with me, if you will, as we read our text in 2 Peter. As Peter's going to remind us on this New Year's Eve that God has given us everything we need. I'm going to focus on three through 10 in the message, but I want to read 1 through 15 for context, so we're all on the same page. Uh, it'll be on the screen. There's a Bible in front of you if you want to read along. 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those through the righteousness of God and Savior Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness through our knowledge of him, who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, he has given us the very great and precious promises so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature and escape the corruption of the world caused by evil desires. For this reason, make every effort to add to faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control. And to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness brotherly kindness. And to brotherly kindness love. For if you possess these qualities in an increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But if anyone does not have them, he is nearsighted and blind and has forgotten that he has been cleansed from his past sins. Therefore, my brothers, be all the more to make your calling and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never fall. And you will receive a rich welcome into your eternal kingdom of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. So I want to remind you of these things, even though you know them and are firmly established in the truth you now have. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tent of the body. Verse 14. Because I know that I will soon be put aside. As our Lord and Savior has made it clear to me. And I will make every effort that after my departure, you will always be able to remember these things. Let's pray together. If you would take a moment. In your own heart, in your own way. If you would just ask God to do something great today. Um. Maybe there's parts of this year that you're ready to kind of be done with. Maybe all is well for you, and maybe you're just anticipating and looking forward to what's to come. Maybe you're like so many that we come and we gather in this place that God has given us, this time and space, this corporate gathering, and sometimes our hearts and our affections can be longing after other things. Or maybe you're like so many who you really want to spiritually grow. You really want to mature in the faith, and you just... You keep coming up with these lists of things you want to try to do, but maybe today God might remind you that he's given us all we need. He's enough. You pray. Father, we're so grateful to be here. I thank you for everybody that's here. We thank you for the prayers that have been lifted up. And God, you know our hearts. Do something special today. I confess every Sunday I can't change anybody in this room. 
I can't say it loud enough. I can't say it in just, just the right way. I can't manipulate things to try to bring change in people's hearts and their souls, but you can do that. By your spirit, if you would do that to hearts that are receptive, would you bring change today? Beginning with me, God, change my heart in new and fresh way. We ask it in the name of Jesus. Amen. You may be seated. We're going to pick up pretty quickly, and I want to walk through this together. We see this, Second Peter, um, as we've done this. We went through Romans. It took us a while to get through Romans and did Advent. We'll do another book coming in February, but as we go through this series, uh, we're going to have different texts as we go. Second Peter, for context, it's written two or three years after First Peter, around 66, or eight, 66 AD, uh, to focus on issues of the church, false teachings, struggles in the faith, or things like that. Paul, excuse me, Peter introduces himself in the first two verses. Let's read this and then we'll move quickly. Peter says, I'm a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ. And it's written to those, this is the audience, to those whose righteousness of God and Savior Jesus Christ have been received a faith as precious as ours. He offers grace and peace in verse 2 in abundance through our knowledge of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Paul is writing to these believers here. He's writing to the church. He's writing to people who are in the faith. They have right standing, but it's important to know and to be reminded that God's righteousness is coming from a Savior, Jesus. It is a gift. And he says this faith that we have, it's a gift. We talked about this at length in Romans, way back in Romans chapter 3, that the righteousness that we have, this right standing with God the Father, is nothing that we bring to the table. You and I, we cannot be made right with God. Carter and I talked about that a couple of times when we visited. You can't be good enough. You can't earn salvation. God saves you. But we talk about this this outworking of obedience in our life, of what it looks like to follow Jesus. That's the journey of this whole life. What Peter's reminding these folks, and he's pushing against these false teachings in this text here, of, hey, claim Jesus, live how you want. Now tell me that's not a relative scripture for our day-to-day of people that want to profess Christ as Lord. But I want to live how I want. And he's pressing a little bit. And he reminds them, just like we did in Romans chapter 3, that apart from the law, there is a righteousness of God that has been made known, to which the law and the prophets testify. The righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ to all who believe. And that's what I want to press in, and you're talking to Carter, this belief, this faith that you have, this righteousness, this right standing with God the Father is nothing we bring to the table. We can't earn it, we can't work for it, it is by the grace of God. And Peter wants to remind these folks that we have a righteousness that is given by faith. He offers grace and peace in abundance through the knowledge of him. Now look at verse 3, this is important, look at the first word. It says, his Ownership, his divine power has given us everything we need. There's your title. Everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who has called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these, his glory and goodness, he's given us these very great and precious promises. So that through them, you and I, we may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. I love this text, and I even put my notes here, and I love it because it, it's a reminder from Peter that we got everything we need. I can tell you story after story of my life and times where I have fallen into sin or I started thinking, I need to read the Bible again. I need to go, even before I worked for the church, I was like, I got to get back in church. You know, some of you, if you're visiting, maybe you're passing through and you think, man, I'm gonna, I need to get more active in the church. I need to serve. I need to plug in. I need to read the Bible. I need to do these things. And that's great, but how fast does that just kind of falter away? And every moment when we realize this, we start thinking, man, I need to start doing this or stop doing this. 
it's refreshing. And you want to talk about a turning point. If I could come to the table and realize that Jesus, by his power, has given me everything I need for a godly life. And here at church, we are called to a godly life. Not to claim him by name and to live a life as we want. We talked about this. I, I, I keep reading the card up because it's been fresh conversations. of We don't just baptize you and think, hey, yon, yon, go. Live the rest of your life. No, this is the beginning. But I'm convicted sometimes because even as a pastor, sometimes we, we approach this and we, we get happy when people come to faith and we step back and we hope and pray that salvation is authentic and it's real and we see the fruit of the life to come. And sometimes we're really good at baptizing and save, getting people saved, but we hope and pray that the life would follow hard after Jesus. These promises in verse 4, he says these, the glory and goodness, they give us these great promises. And these promises, I, I, I could do a whole sermon on these, but they're, they're, they're past promises that God has fulfilled and also the future promises that are to come. We celebrated that in Advent in part. The hope of the coming of Christ and the future coming of Christ. Promises that God has done and will do what he said he would do. And Peter is, is pressing in, pushing back against this false teaching of, hey, follow Christ, lead, live for Jesus, but kind of do what you want to do. You can live how you want. He says, no, God's given us everything we need. By his spirit, we have the word of God. He's given us everything to participate in his divinity, his divine nature, and push away and escape the corruption of the world. You can ask a lot of people in conversations, and, and, and it, it's kind of sad, but sometimes in the world, the line between believers and non-believers gets a little blurry. Of knowing who's following Jesus, not because of what they do on a Sunday morning, but because of how the practices of their life, the fruit, the evidences of what it proves. And the question that I have to answer, that we all have to answer is, are the claims of our life matching up with the habits of our life and the lifestyles of our life? And as we approach this, this new year, as we look at this, is do we understand and take a deep breath and an exhale of knowing that God's given me everything I need? I don't have to try to muster up or just kind of do it by myself. We have all of these precious promises that he's given us. Our adoption, our sonship, our daughtership, his, his return, the glories of heaven, the word. We have all of these things that God's given us. The future promise of a new heaven and a new earth. We have all of this. And I was thinking back, and there's a conversation I had with Dev, uh, who's um, spending some time with family. And I, I just want to say this also, just to, as a quick aside, I'm very grateful for Dev and him filling in last week for uh, being able to go and spend time with family, uh, having a youth pastor here. Um, he and I had a conversation, we were in my office and we were talking about it, and he actually preached in November uh, on John 15. And, and it, it kind of birthed this idea of, man, these, these paradigm shifts of our life, if we could just grasp it. And he preached on John 15, divide of the branches, everybody knows that one. And I just kept going back, and he, was, he did a great job on it, and we just kind of were talking about, I wonder if we could just realize, as Jesus was trying to, uh, not trying, he did it, he accomplished it, apart from me, we do nothing. Diddly squat, zero, zilch, nothing. We can't muster some success, we can't try, we can't skirt by. Jesus says, you abide, you rest, you connect, you remain in me, because apart from me, you can do Nothing. And we sat in there, we talked about that, and we literally, and, and it was right before, and we just talked about, what if, talk about a paradigm change, and I'm not going to preach on that because he already did it, but that's where this kind of came up. What if we can 
Put aside the, the do's and the don'ts of trying to figure things out and try to play the part of what a Christian is and fall in love with Jesus more to where we want to. And the shoulds turn into wants. And it's not about what we have to do, but what we want to do. And the Holy Spirit began to convict me on that. I'm so grateful for the word that he was able to preach that Sunday. So we, we have ambitions to bring life and to bring change to us. And in light of this, we often bring resolutions and things we want to do differently. But I, I read a quote many years ago, and I actually hold fast to it every year. And I'm going to share it with you. It may sound familiar, but uh, a writer, Scotty Smith, said this uh, years ago. And I, I, I read this every year, but let's just listen to what he says here. It's a prayer, but he writes this about, we don't have to try to muster up things to do, but look at what he says. He says, because the gospel is true, the good news of Jesus, because that's true, I don't have to begin the year with a list of New Year's resolutions. Catch this. Promises of what I'm going to, to do for you. Rather, I begin this year by abandoning myself to do everything, to everything Jesus has done for us. Jesus is the promise keeper, not us. Jesus, the second Adam, and our substitute, not a moral example and just a second chance. I'm thankful to begin this year boasting in Christ's work, not boasting in my anything. I'm thankful this will come back later. I'm thankful that you've continued to open my eyes and my heart to see the riches of the gospel of your grace. What a prayer. And I hope you can see that that's the heartbeat behind this message of not approaching a, a New Year's Eve worship service and thinking, I'm just going to try to start doing some stuff. Of falling more in love with Jesus because of what he's done and we want to abandon ourselves to the habits and the hobbies and the things of life that aren't reflective positively of him but we want to press in and say I'm abandoning myself and you've opened my eyes and my heart to the riches of the gospel and I'm made alive and I'm blown away and I'm not bored with it anymore and I'm, I, I just want to follow you I want to, I want to follow and do what you've called me to do that's where the change happens and that's where the beauty of this takes place there's a caveat here. Look at verse 5. Peter, he knows this, and he presses this, and it's a warning. It's something that we don't just sit back and, and hit cruise control as followers of Jesus and just hope that things are going to magically happen. There is great responsibility for those who are in Christ. Look at what he says in verse 5. To avoid becoming futile or useless in the faith or unproductive in verse 5 and 7. Look at what he says. For this reason, because of all that we just talked about, Peter says, make every effort... Do what it takes to add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge and to knowledge self-control and to self-control perseverance and to perseverance godliness and to godliness mutual affection and to mutual affection love. Seven attributes that could be a sermon in themselves. I don't think this is an exhaustive list that Peter said this is it. He's going to make a point here. He's talking about the goodness, the knowledge, self-control, perseverance. These qualities that accompany our faith, that they are to be an increasing measure. Evidences of the Holy Spirit moving and working in us. And this idea of adding means to be supplied. God gives it. God grants it. And what a paradigm change. When it comes to walking with Jesus, we have everything we need. Again, I'll reference Carter in our conversation this last week of God saving him. He didn't, he didn't bring anything to the table other than responding to what God has done in, for him in Christ Jesus, the finished work of the gospel, that he responds to that. But we talked about that, about the journey beginning. It's like an athlete. We, 
an athlete who's got a gift, abilities, but chooses not to put in the effort to maximize the potential? You with me this morning? Just wants to enjoy the gift. I've got this gifts and I've got this abilities, but I'm just going to kind of just hang out and, 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 and not maximize the potential by, by putting forth the effort. It's the same thing. We don't save ourselves. It is a gift of salvation. But Peter is very clear that we are to put forth effort, energy, priority in the prominence of our lives to follow him. Because look at what he says in verse 8. If you possess these qualities, in what manner? In an increasing manner, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive or unfruitful, depending on your translation, in your knowledge of the Lord Jesus. But whoever doesn't have them is nearsighted and blind, forgetting that they've been cleansed from their past sins. I want to hang out here for just a second. Peter mentions a conditional statement. Did you see it? If, if you possess these qualities in what manner? Just plateau the rest of your life? I came to Christ at nine years old. Many of you in this room probably came to faith at a younger age, and you probably had struggles just like mine. At times in your life where you, maybe you struggled and had sinned and wandered and questioning all these things. But here's the thing. This sanctification journey of God making us more like him, we are to be further along in the journey than we were when we began. If you possess these qualities, all that we mentioned, in an increasing measure, look at the result. Look what's going to happen. They're going to keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. We've got to hit pause for just a second. Because there's something in the text here where Paul's going to make it very clear. Oh, excuse me, Peter. Excuse me. I wrote Romans for 36 weeks. It's on my brain. Is it possible for somebody to profess Jesus Christ as their Lord and live their life on this earth ineffective and unproductive? Not according to David, but according to the scriptures, it's yes. Now, don't, now let, let me push pause for a minute because here's the thing. If that is the overflow, the natural, if that is the consistent manner of revealing a life that's not born again, that's a different conversation. But Peter's saying it's possible for somebody to say, I, I, I love Jesus, I'm a Christian, but if you're not careful, you can live a life being ineffective and unproductive. Then what are we doing? What am I doing? Ineffective for the kingdom of God, and God help us if we profess him as Lord of our life and we live the rest of our lives or something else. I wonder what the relevance is for the church in our day. Imagine what it would look like if we pressed in, all of us, myself at the top of the list, to not be ineffective and unproductive of what we know, of our knowledge. We can know a lot about him. So I want to press this against you. I know we have many visiting pastors, but if you're able to hear my voice and hear the word today, I just want you to press this in. How does it land on you? Do you find yourself in moments where you feel like, I just feel like I'm just ineffective. I'm not doing anything. I go to church every once in a while. I, do, I read my Bible when it's convenient. I do, I do this. Or do you ever think, I'm not bringing anything to the table for the church, for the kingdom of God. Because what the point of this is, is he says in verse 9, if you don't have them, if you're not doing this, you have been nearsighted, blind, Forgetting that you've been cleansed from past sins. It's the real heartbeat 
I've been in ministry of a church, in a church for over 20 years, and I've seen these conversations with people that are struggling, and they don't know what to do, and all the other conversations with people that are apathetic in their faith, they're struggling, and they know, but they're just they're kind of okay with that. And maybe, what a beautiful truth, if we could press in, not to feel guilt or shame, but to say, you know what, maybe this is going to be the year, not because I'm going to try harder, but because I realize, according to scriptures that I could step into this. He's given me everything that I need. I could press into him, fall in love with him, grow by his spirit, by his truth, grow in the word, and mature and be a productive, effective follower of the king. Now, maybe I'm just getting worked up because I didn't preach last week and I've got a lot to get out, maybe, but I, I just, I want you to feel that this morning. Talk about a paradigm change. Talk about a turning point where decisive change of like 2024 doesn't have to be a lot of do's and don'ts and this and that. I can just step in and rest in his grace and what he has done, but understanding that there is a responsibility that goes with that. That's why back in 1955, A.W. Tozer wrote a book called The Root of Righteousness. Excuse me. And listen to what he says. He says, probably the most widespread and persistent problem being found among Christians is the problem of delayed or slow spiritual progress. Well, after so many years of Christian profession, do so many persons find themselves no further along than when they first believed? What Tozer's saying in 55 is the same thing Peter's saying, and I'm trying to say today of, People that profess Christ, but in their spiritual faith, in their journey, they look back on their life and they're really no further than when they started. Now, can I ask you a question this morning? And I know I'm kind of pressing, maybe getting a little bit personal this morning, but that's okay. Is that going to be you? Will you find yourself being one that looks back on their life and think, I'm not any further than when I started? 2025, 2026, if God gives us that are we maturing and growing? And maybe, by his grace, maybe, just maybe, on a simple Sunday in a church, maybe you're visiting, maybe you're here every Sunday, that you might step into this, realize that there's, there's rest and there's release there of knowing I don't have to try to manufacture and keep trying to muster up stuff and do stuff. I'm going to follow my face every time, but I can press in and realize he's given it all to me. I'm going to fall more in love with him. I want to grow. Verse 10, we'll keep going. This idea, before we get there, forgetting that you've been cleansed from their past sins, verse 9. He's talking about, as a lot of, a lot of writers talk about, I was reading about this, talk about, it's called an identity amnesia, if you will, bear with me, of, of placing your identity in something else. And I'll argue that. I, I do that, you do that. Every time we sin, we place our hope in something else. I think of Romans 1 where Paul says we trade God for stuff and we, we basically trade the glory of the of God for image of faith to look. And Paul says he, they'd rather have the stuff than him. I'll argue, and I've said it for countless times, that every time we choose to sin, every time we willfully do that, we're basically saying, I want that. And I was reading even last night about how writers believe that when we look at this and we forget that we've been cleansed from past sins, we look at the grace of the glory of God and we forget that and we have an identity, amnesia, what, Paul, what, what many writers say, and we begin to place our identity in something else and we pursue those things. And in verse 10, he's going to remind us again in verse 10, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, in light of all of this, make every effort to confirm your calling and election. For if you do these things, you're not going to stumble. He wants them to know that they know. 
and you're going to receive a rich welcome into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Has your relationship, excuse me, has your relationship with Jesus changed the way you live your life? When you reflect back and you look at this, as the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 2, as we are born again, made alive, we're not brought from bad to good, that we are brought according to Ephesians 2, it's by grace we've been saved through faith, it's not of ourselves, it's a gift, it's not by works so that we can't boast that God has redeemed us and God has saved us. There is nothing we can boast about as a Christian. That we're reminded, as the writers say, as the hymns would sing, that nothing compares to knowing him. As we close the text in 12 and 15, excuse me, Peter is going to do what his pastors try to do. I like this because it gives me context. He's going to say, I want to remind you of something. Look at what he says in verse 12. It's a very personal note. He says, I, want, I will always remind you of these things. Even though you know them and you're firmly established in the truth you now have. Can I stop there for just a minute? You know what Peter's saying? Church, you already know this. You ever heard a sermon sometime? Don't say amen on this, please, if you, especially if you go here. Uh, you ever heard a sermon? They already knew that. Heard that one. I knew that text. You referenced John 15, the vine of the branches. I already knew that. I knew this text before you started it. What us preachers do? We're not reinventing the wheel here. Peter's saying, I know that you know this, and you know it well. You are firmly established, but I'm going to remind you over and over and over again. And look what he says, verse 13. I think it is right to refresh your memory as long as I live in this tender body. As long as I got breath, as long as I'm here, I'm going to keep reminding you of these things. Because I know that I'm soon going to put it aside as our Lord Jesus has made it clear to me. He's going to die. He knows it's coming. In verse 15, I will make every effort to see that after I'm gone and my departure, that you will be able to remember these things. What is he saying? I'm about to die. Historians know, and we, you know, Peter died. He was crucified upside down. He knows he's about to die. And he says, I'm going to make such a good point. I want you to understand this. I want to press this into you. I'm going to remind you over and over. Parents, if you have kids, you know this. I've told you this again. I'm going to tell you this again. I'm going to tell you this again. You know it, but I'm going to tell you over and over and over and over. Because I want to know that even after I'm dead and gone, that you're going to remember this. Question, do you think that this is important for people to remember? You think Peter's saying, I want you to get it. I want you to understand this. You don't have to manufacture a spiritual life. You don't have to live ineffective and unproductive. You could step in by his grace and rest in the finished work. He's given us everything we need. 2024 can be amazing. Uh, what God is going to do, not because what we bring to the table, because of what he has done. And there is urgency in this. This is where Peter's wanting them to grasp it, understand it. Don't believe the lie of the enemy or any preacher or teacher or congregation. Everybody's going to say, you can follow Christ and live how you want. It's not true. Giving us everything we need. There's urgency. And, and, and I'll echo the prayer from Scotty Smith and I'll wrap this up as what he says. I'm thankful. I'm thankful that I can begin this year in Olton, Texas, or wherever you live, and I can boast in Christ's work. I don't have to trust in my anything. I don't trust me anyway. I'm thankful to continue, that he will continue to open my eyes and my heart to the riches of the gospel. So I'm gonna ask you to bow your heads where you're at for just a minute. My prayer today is this. Before we sing our last song, before we leave for the day, I just want you to hear this. 
not, not your kids, not your spouse. I'm just going to ask you this question. How's your journey going? Because I'm reminded, encouraged when I talk to kids like Carter, when I tell them, you know what, this is the beginning. But some of you friends, we've been in this journey for a while. I've been in this journey for a while. So the question I'm going to lay before you, though it may be a little convicting, but that's okay. Don't push that away. Allow the Spirit to work in you. My question for you today is, if you call Jesus Lord of your life, are you living effective and productive or ineffective? and unproductive. You know, he'll reveal that to you. And if you feel that, don't feel shame and guilt of that. Feel the conviction and allow the Holy Spirit to move you to rest in his grace and his mercy. That if you choose to, if your willful heart says, I want to live a life, I want to follow hard after him, he's given you everything. He's giving you himself. He's giving you his spirit. He's giving you his word. And we don't have to forget that we've been cleansed of our sins and chase an identity in something else that we can follow hard after him. I can't promise you it'll be easy. I can't promise you it'll be smooth. But I can promise you it's worth it. Because that's what God desires of his people. So would you just be still for just a second? I want to give you a moment to pray and process. And we're going to sing our last song. I'd be happy to pray with you in just a minute. But just for about 30, 40 seconds, would you just allow him to speak to you? And rest, pray, confess, repent, whatever he's laying on your heart to do. And then we'll stand and speak.